get your questions ready for Ask Ozzy, Ask Ozzy How to open up some doors Ask Ozzy, Ask Ozzy Work-life balance, what's that for? Ask Ozzy, Ask Ozzy What if I've been here before? Ask Ozzy, Ask Ozzy You know what to do, you know who to call you got Ask Ozzy, Ask Ozzy, Ask Ozzy Yeah Yeah! That was a fun, that was your first time hearing the theme song, Kyle? That's, that's a banger. <laughs> um, Michael has a theme song person that made that for us. So well done. we're Michael's thinking about, person. do we need a rebranding? But hi, welcome to Ask Aussie, the show where people write in questions. We're pleasantly happy to have Kyle here today from Morning Brew. Kyle, thanks for being a guest. I know Michael and I are working on bringing in more guests to the show this season. So thanks for yeah. coming along. Very excited to be here. And thanks for having me. Walk us through you. I know I met you through doing one of the Learn and Brew programs, which has been cool to kind of um, watch expand and grow just because names have changed, things like that. But yeah. curious to hear like where you came from. I know you live in New York City now, all that good stuff. Yeah. So originally from Minnesota, shout out to the Midwest, yes. that part of the country. Uh, grew up in Minnesota, went to school there, lived there for 22 years. Then I made the big jump to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, about five and a half mm-hmm. hours away. And I went there when I graduated college. I really wanted to do something kind of service focused. So I was thinking about the Peace Corps. I was actually on the wait list to go to Cameroon, do some farming in Cameroon. Wow. Uh, and then I was also applying to uh, different AmeriCorps jobs, which is basically like the domestic version of the Peace Corps. If, if you're not familiar with it, that's probably the easiest analogy to draw on. And uh, went the AmeriCorps route. So I worked for a nonprofit called College Possible that was focused on helping first-gen, low-income students get to and through college if that's what they wanted to do. So I had 40 students for two years that were in the program. So I was in high school all day and then two hours after teaching. Thrilling stuff like Pythagorean Theorem and uh, different ACT and SAT uh, test questions. And then senior year doing college visits, talking about FAFSA and scholarships and kind of helping them walk through that pretty tough decision a high schooler has to make about if they should go to college and if they're going to go to college, where's the best fit for them. Uh, I stayed in Milwaukee for about four years after that. I got my master's degree in political science. And I would describe those four years as basically mass experimentation. I was doing a lot of freelance stuff uh, for civic tech companies. I launched my own podcast. I was really focused on community building in Milwaukee. Um, and I was working for the housing authority for the city of Milwaukee through my graduate program on a really cool choice development neighborhood initiative, which was kind of taking what HUD normally does, which is mainly focused on like brick and mortar and, and building uh, public housing and it kind of stepping back and really looking at it from a neighborhood level. So doing econ development, partnering with the schools, partnering with the businesses, trying to make the neighborhood that the public housing is in. And and this public housing won a ton of design awards. It's absolutely gorgeous um, on the west side of Milwaukee and really trying to make the neighborhood um, a place that people want to live, work and play in. So, for example, like trying to get a, a, a reputable grocery store in the neighborhood. Obviously, people are well aware that there's a lot of places in America that are food deserts. So it was working on that. Happy to go into anything in that journey. And then my last job was working for Marquette University with their innovator in residence, Chuck Swoboda, who was a former public company CEO of a company called Cree, a really big company in the LED lighting space. He scaled the company from 50 million to 1.6 billion over the 16 years he was the CEO. 
And we were doing a podcast. We were working on curriculum. He was writing a book. We were doing a ton of events around innovation. And after that, I left and joined Morning Brew and moved to New York. So here I am in Chelsea with a sliver of a brick wall. I know your brick wall's famous, right? Some are saying. I know. That's cool. I didn't realize I started in higher education and did the whole admissions and yeah thing but you did it from more maybe a mission centric i felt like i was a salesperson i was selling a seventy thousand dollar private upper east side new york city college experience so i felt like i was getting people into student loan debt <laughs> well i mean it, it depends on the fit for the individual as long as they know what they're getting into yes. um yeah like any good salesperson you're trying to help someone solve a particular problem and giving them the information mm-hmm. To make them enable them to make the best decision for themselves, but um, yeah, I mean, we 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 talked a lot about student loans when I was doing this program because you know they can be pretty tough to recover from if you make a wrong move, and and you're asking a yeah. lot of eighteen year olds and their families to make that decision at that time. Mm-hmm. There's such an entrenched mindset of like you have to go to college at all costs, and so we really had a focus on bringing the net cost down to as little as possible for the student through mainly, hopefully, grants and scholarships that you don't have to pay back. If they had to take out loans, really leaning on federal loans that had a super low interest rate and are a little easier to navigate. Mm-hmm. No, that's a whole big thing. And I hope we yeah. see it change. I feel like what you're working on now is kind of a shift in education. And I feel like New York Times did a podcast the other day about, like, is college worth it? And it's kind of mm. a conversation that's coming up again because is it? I don't know. Yeah. I had fun in college. It's a really great question. And I think the conversation is probably a lot more nuanced than people want to admit. Like there's people that are just like maybe an older generation whose idea of college is a lot more affordable. There's a lot more like upward mobility that uh, comes to you by going to college. And my dad went to undergrad and law school probably for less total than I spent going to college for my first year. So I went to George Washington and then transferred to University of Minnesota. And so I, and, and they have a lot of good points. And I also think that in the younger generation, some of them have been crushed by student loans, but mainly like they left college and they didn't get the economic outcome that they thought they were going to get or the job that they thought they were going to get. And I think that causes a lot of resentment. I will say, I think on the whole, the experience of college can be radically transformative for people. It's likely the first time that any American has lived in what I would say is a walkable neighborhood. I mean, there's just so few of them uh, that aren't car centric. And I would say our college campuses are probably the best where you're living by people you see all the time. You can walk to each other's dorms. You're kind of, it's, it's stepping into independence. And obviously there is the learning component. So I think it's a transformational experience. Now, what should the price be of that? That's tough to say. So I do like the focus. And I would say the honest criticism of the of the college system because i think it's a really powerful thing but you have to weigh the costs and i think for a lot of schools the costs the roi is negative and so mm-hmm. just making colleges be more better at delivering outcomes for what the students are paying for 100 percent. I, I think oh. the the death of college like the four-year liberal arts degree i personally think is overhyped i think there's so much network effects and and it's so entrenched in the american mind that like you should go to a four-year school that that stuff just takes a long time and a lot longer than people imagine to like, un, like to get out of. And I also think that ultimately 
schools have economic interest in getting students to attend. And a lot of schools have a large endowment. So they will make the pivots necessary to make the business model work if there's more pressure on them, which I'm seeing now. The idea of vocational schools, I'm, I'm totally for. I think if you're 18 and you're, you're clear on, hey, I want to become a mechanic in your example, I want to become a plumber. Those are like very high paying jobs um, in, in some situations. That's great. And you should get the training you need for that situation. I think going back to what I was talking to with Austin, it's all about fit. And I think the best advisors in high school, they're not pushing a college, a specific college, they're not pushing a specific track, but they're asking really insightful, thoughtful questions to get to the heart of like, what do you actually want to do with your life? What, what would the next best step be for you know that, that two or three year plan? For some people, it might be going to a traditional four-year school. For some people, it might be going to an HBCU. For some people, it might be going to a community college. For some people, it might be going to a vocational school. For some people, it might be like, hey, take a year and figure things out before you commit to anything. So I think the more diversity of options people have, it makes a much more competitive marketplace, forces every school to be a lot more better at delivering outcomes. And ultimately, you find the best fit for each person. And that's really should be the ultimate goal. So I, I'm pro any sort of educational opportunity that allows people to socialize with peers, become more independent, and find a job that can sustain the lifestyle that they want. And I think, fortunately, we're moving away from thinking that a four-year school is the only place that can deliver that because there's a lot of other options out there. Yeah. Very cool. So you made two big moves, too. One, did you say Milwaukee, Wisconsin? Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Which was big move. And then New York City, which is an even bigger move. I went to college in New York City. I'm from South Carolina. How was it you moved to New York City for a job? Did you feel like you had that community or did you have to build it? Like, did your coworkers welcome you? Walk us through that. Because it's always interesting. It's always interesting. I couldn't agree more. It's a great question. I, I think probably everyone, if my recommendation would be to move to a different place and kind of a place where you don't know anyone and you get your ass kicked a little bit, I think it's very helpful. So when I moved to New York, I didn't know anyone as a friend when I moved. I had colleagues here and in, in Morning Brew is a very like friendly place and I would consider many of them my friends now, but I didn't have any friends. And so when you do that, you really have to learn as an adult how to make friends, which could be a whole other podcast, because that isn't a situation a lot of adults find themselves in. A lot of our friends are built through shared experiences. And as you're growing up, whether that's college or sports or drama or or whatever you're into, I feel like there's just a lot, it's a lot easier to make friends when you're younger. Mm -hmm. So when I moved to New York, I was really intentional. And I think it is very possible to make adult friends that are really, really worthwhile. You just have to be more intentional about it because the opportunities don't present themselves as easily as in the past. So basically I went on Twitter as all good stories start and I DM'd like anyone that had New York City in their bio. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and I was just like, hey, I'm moving to New York. I'm working for Morning Brew. I don't really know anyone in the city. I would love to grab a coffee if you're down. Let me know. And I would say most people in New York this idea that New York people are like assholes, I think they're actually very welcoming. They're just to the point. And so pretty much everyone said yes. Um, and I got coffee with, I don't know, 50 people. A lot of them turned into friends. A lot turned into, you know, acquaintances or, or familiar faces. And, and, and some you just get a coffee and you never see them again. But 
you know, you start that wide net of 50 and you end up with five to 10 really close friends. And that was kind of how I got started. And then once you know people, you get introduced to their friends. I had a few other friends moved to New York that I already knew in the past. So I'd say now I, I have a really awesome friend group and network and community in New York, but it does take some intentional effort. I think it's worth doing though. No, 100%. I feel like a lot of friends and family are always curious and it's interesting. I feel like you have to be bold and take that risk. You're a pretty bold person and that's cool <laughs> you used because you, you like Twitter as well. So you used a network that you enjoy. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be Twitter. I mean, if you're into, let's say, sports, there's a, a league called Volo in New York, and you can sign up as an individual, and you just get put on a team. And that's really scary for some people, but yeah. we, we've had people do join our teams like that. And honestly, my respect for anyone that does that is through the roof. I think it's super dope to like put yourself out there, you're going to mm-hmm. meet people, and you're going to have like a shared experience. It's actually better than just getting coffee because like you're doing something, and I think that is really how you form bonds and so we've had we've met many people through bolo leagues as well there's something out there you just have to be more intentional and go find it 100 percent. my husband and i bought a lake house and it was in the middle of upstate new york and i did similar i looked on instagram at the <laughs> location tag for the lake right. and was like oh my gosh that's our neighbor and i reached out and was like hey and he responded like months later because he was like, who is this creep, right? But it's interesting at, because now we're like best buds and we hang out and it's cool taking those risks. But then it's also the people on the other side and how they might perceive it, right? Right. So yeah, the sports things are cool. I did improv classes when I moved. Oh, yeah. I got a job. Like I think work helps with some of that too. Um, so Definitely. very cool. And I would say New York is pretty work focused as a city. Mm-hmm. And so people, I don't think people have qualms about like being friends with people at work. We, I think people at New York work a lot. And so you end up just spending a lot of time with, with those people. So I agree. It's a great way to make friends. I also think the point about you making like DMing someone on Instagram. And we have this idea that like, oh, it's going to be weird or it's going to be creepy. And obviously like, don't be weird and creepy. But I, I do think for the most part, if someone messages me, I'm never like, oh, fuck this person. I'm like, oh, that's really mm-hmm. cool. Thanks for reaching out. Of so I, I do think there's this like dissonance between how you think it's going to be perceived, but when something happens to you, you don't perceive it like that at all. I think most people, particularly now where people are lonely, quite honestly, um, they love getting reached out to by you know, a familiar face or someone new in the neighborhood and, and, and the chance to make friends. So it takes yeah. two to tango and, and put yourself out there. And then when people reach out to you, do your best to, to try to accommodate their request. A hundred percent. I'm not shy to reach out to anyone. Michael knows that because yeah. it's always like if you 100%. get a reply, I reach out to these influencers and the most random people. And it's like, if they don't respond, that's fine. But yeah. sometimes they do, which is cool, especially for a podcast guest. Or, but I am a recruiter, so I feel like it's similar without yeah. the sales goals, right? <clears throat> and even, I, I think it's really interesting taking this idea of like an SDR or recruiter or cold DM and just taking it out into in general, how you view the world, Mm -hmm. the things that have just like asymmetric upside are the things that you should be spending a lot of time doing. And, you know, a cold DM, a no is just a no. You're in the same exact spot. There's almost literally no downside to doing it. It's all upside. If someone responds, then holy shit, you might have a new business connection. You might have a new friend. You might have a new X, Y, or Z. 
it's all asymmetric upside risk and you should be doubling or tripling down on those avenues in life where that that give you all positive risk and no no downside risk and so i I think it's just such a valuable thing for anyone listening cold emails a cold dm if you talk to anyone that's been successful so many of their stories start with something like that i reached out to a bunch of people i didn't think i was going to get any response i got one they invest in my company they joined my company they became my best friend they became my partner like it, it it is crazy how much opportunity is out there just through the power of the internet by putting yourself out there. Um, and you just have to get over some kind of, uh, I don't know, like scaredness of, of doing it or the perception that it'll be weird. Everyone, most people love it. Most people honestly just ignore it. They never even see it. But the people that do, there's a lot of potential there. Yeah. What are your favorite? Do you have a favorite coffee shop? Do you have a favorite bar? Mm. Do you have a favorite restaurant? Just curious. Yeah. Coffee shop. I live by a place called Yanni's um, on Seventh mm. Ave. It's fantastic. Highly recommend it. I'm not paid to say this. They they have a great they have great coffee, but they have these like bonkers cookies that just slap. They're mm. so good. Um and, and just like a really nice place. Um so I really like Yanni's. My favorite restaurant near me is Mel's. It's a it's a pizzeria. Uh, right under the High Line, kind of like fancy okay. schmancy, but their playlist is so good that they actually had to put <laughs> cards out at the top that have a QR code that go to the Spotify playlist because everyone asks, like, what music are you playing? I have three of their playlists saved on my Spotify that I play all the yeah. time, which is fantastic. Bars, I don't know if I have a favorite bar. Like, I'm not a big, like, I go to the same bar every time guy, and I'm, I'm not really a big drinker, like, myself i'll just like join people for drinks and i do drink but it's not something i seek out individually so i'm kind of down for wherever there's some wine bars i go to um but i don't have like a go-to bar now awesome i was just curious um i feel like bathtub gin is near you have you been there i've heard of that place i've heard it's quite good they have a bathtub in it and you can get okay i have not got in the bathtub i have heard of the place there's a there's a speakeasy called Rain's Law Room that's yeah, around me too. It's sexy. Yeah, that place is cool. I've gone there a bunch. That's um, so cool. Yeah, I mean in New York, it's just there's so many amazing bars that I feel like every time I go to the same one, I'm like, should have gone to a new one. My now husband, we met and he lived in Chelsea. He was on 18th between seventh and eighth. Okay, I'm on 16th between seventh and eighth. But such a cool area. And it's interesting during COVID how it changed, but I feel like a lot of the staples stayed. So um awesome. Well, Michael's gonna push us to get into these questions. Part of Ask Ozzy, we have um a little community and we push out when guests are coming on and they can write in questions. We also have a phone line, they can call in questions and leave voicemails, all that good stuff. And Michael, who helps out a lot, um, aggregates these questions into what the guest might be able Love to answer. It. So I think we have two questions, right? Before we get into the questions, Kyle, could you go into and give an overview about what Morning Brew is and how it developed into this digital community that it has become now? Our questions from our listeners are really about the digital community and Morning Brew is like seems to be really specialized in that digital for community. Sure. So Morning Brew is a digital media company best known for its daily newsletter that tells you what happened yesterday, today. Uh, the tagline is we make you smarter in five minutes. Uh, very simple concept, but 
pretty brilliant, smart, witty, irreverent, fun writing. We have about 5 million close to subscribers to that daily newsletter. From there, it's grown into a full-fledged media company with other newsletters, podcasts, social, video. You can pretty much find us anywhere on the web covering the news, functional, professional news, uh, you know, fun podcasts, funny videos, all of that stuff. And the newest business unit is what I'm working on and what I was brought on to launch, which is Morning Brew Learning. Morning Brew Learning is taking all the insights we have from our audience and from the expert team that we've assembled to build courses, content, and community that accelerate the careers of ambitious, dynamic professionals. And so uh, people can take uh, eight-week courses, one-week courses. We partner with businesses to deliver courses on anything professionals need to know. New manager boot camp, financial forecasting, performing under pressure, difficult conversations at work, et cetera. And part of that is also building community, allowing professionals to connect with each other, uh, to find the connections that are going to help find them their next opportunity, find a company to invest in, find a co-founder. And so I'm the director of community there. So really focused on making sure that people have the experience they want to have. They get the content and the community they need to accelerate their careers. And we've now graduated about 3,500 professionals from all of our courses. And that number is rapidly expanding pretty much every week. That is amazing. Talk about a community. That just sounds great. Well, here is the first question from a listener. Hey, Aussie, I'm Sarah, and I run a small production business. I'm diving into this whole online community thing, and I must admit it's a bit overwhelming. Could you enlighten me on the top benefits of having an online community for a small business like mine? And do you have any insights on how I can nurture and leverage this community for the growth of my business? Cheers, Sarah. Cheers. Well, Sarah, thanks for calling in. Um, this is fun. I feel like I'm on like XM radio or something. It's great. Um, so oh, wow. building community for a small business. I would say that first off, community, as we all know, it's like the buzzword of the past three years. Anytime something is like super buzzy, I would approach it very skeptically because oftentimes it's just all hype, no substance. You don't need a community for every single thing. If you're like selling socks, just sell socks. You don't need a sock community. And so, uh, you know, I wouldn't feel pressured to build one unless, so yeah, don't feel pressured to build one. If you do want to build one, I think the first step is understanding what is the value that this is going to bring to your customers that are inside of this community. Like the only communities that are going to thrive are those that can consistently, like any sort of product, deliver value to the users. And so, you know, if, if you have a small production company, what's the benefit of someone joining this community for your production company? Are you giving them tips on production? Are you answering their questions like more rapidly? Like you have templates that are going to help them in their career or whatever they're doing. So think about your clients and what maybe is missing from their journey. And if you can build a community and resources around that, then sure, it's very helpful. Um, you know, many SaaS companies like HubSpot have a HubSpot community. They're talking to developers. They're talking to people that use their platform. It's a great way to get feedback from your customers. It's a great way to answer questions. It's a great way to feel like, hey, we are here for you. And we actually really care. And we put all these resources behind making sure you have a great experience. So it can be done. Depending on the business, I would say there's more likely going to be success in community or not. But you don't have to. And just be very clear about the value prop you're, you're delivering to individuals would be uh, my first guess. But I, I would make sure the business is like in a good spot first. I, I think that making sure that like you're, you're sustainable and you're profitable 
doing what you do best. Like you probably didn't get into this game to build a community. So focus on the production stuff and then maybe think about adding on a community that supports those efforts. Amazing. After that. I think that's good. I love how you mentioned like if you have a socks brand or it yeah. might not necessarily be. And I feel like a lot of people try to often build something that isn't necessary. So or can you tap into other areas or whatnot? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've been I've been added to like, you know, WhatsApp groups and stuff, and it's just not clear what I'm doing there. And then you end up leaving. So have a plan. <laughs> yeah. Love that. Awesome. Next question. Hi, Aussie. I've just snagged a new contract gig, and my mission is to build a thriving online community. Do you mind sharing some wisdom on how I can fire up folks and get them actively involved in my online community? Your advice would be legendary. Thanks in advance. Warm regards, Jake. Jake. Jake with legendary. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about this, and you could probably, you know, build a whole template or or like playbook on, you know, how to do that. But I also think one of the best ways to build community is like build something that you genuinely would want to be a part of. And I don't think you need to worry about like getting people fired up. I think people can smell like engagement bait posts from a mile away. I think just like if you would literally like to be in this community, which Jake, it sounds like you are very excited, just lean into your own excitement, like share cool things that you're finding really compelling, whatever this contract is around, like be the community member you wish everyone else would be. And if you're finding value from it, if you're role modeling, like this is just me, I'm just excited about these topics. And I want to be around other people that are also excited about them and want to talk about them. It kind of takes care of itself. Like you have to show up as a community member too. Um, and, and so that would be my thing. And, and, and also like, if that's just not your personality, or maybe you are a little more like muted, that's totally cool too. Your community doesn't have to be for everyone. And honestly, if you try to build something for everyone, you often end up building it for no one. And so, you know, having your own personality, having your own tone, it's going to attract people that have similar personality, a similar tone are in it for the same reasons. And you're going to grow the community slower, but it's going to be much more intentional. It's going to be much more thoughtful. And the members you do get are going to stay around and not churn. So uh, I wouldn't worry about like trying to hype people up. Just be you. If you're hyped up about it, share that and people will follow along with that excitement. No, definitely. I think the if you see yourself in it makes a lot of sense. Also, you've done a good job. I love like how you've built community and like the Slack group and not necessarily using like social media necessarily, but meeting people where they are and are interested in being and making it a bit more exclusive. And I think that's cool too, how you've done that with learning brew and built this alumni network, right. That you can tap into for questions or um, feedback and things like that. So I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, It's a, it's a, it's a great point. And just the note on social media, I think that, to me, social media is a little more like marketing. I think you could probably get into the weeds of these definitions, but to me, audience is like one to many. When you put out a tweet, it's one tweet, it goes to a lot of people, but oftentimes those people aren't interacting with each other. They're interacting with you. So it's one to many. And I would say that's more like audience. I think just a basic definition of community is, is many to many, where the people that are like in the community don't only know you, but they get to know the other people in the community. That's why they're likely joining or part of the reason they're joining. And so, you know, sometimes you do need an effective social media strategy that's more marketing based and and that will do wonders for your business. 
And maybe that's all you need. If you do want to build something where like members are talking to each other, then you might need to go to a different platform. That could just be Slack. That could be a Discord. That could be LinkedIn. That could be WhatsApp. But that's how I would think about audience versus community, one-to-many versus many-to-many. And being clear about what you're actually trying to build and why you're trying to build it on those two dimensions is very helpful thought experiment. Well, thanks for coming on, Kyle, and sharing your knowledge um, of New York as well as what you do of community. Um, And if people want to look up Kyle, how can they find you? Yeah, so I really exist on the internet, maybe in three places, LinkedIn, just Kyle Hagee, H-A-G-G-E. Twitter, I think I'm at Kyle Hagee, same spelling, obviously. And then I have a website, kylehagee.com, that I update Mm -hmm. once every two years because I forget I have it, but there's some information on there too. Or just shoot me an email, kyle at morningbrew.com, and I would love to connect. Amazing. Do you still have a podcast? You've done a lot of them, right? I've I've produced uh, two. I've hosted one that I was also producing. Uh, Right now, I don't have an active podcast, but just hopping on as guests when I, when I get the call. So it was very fun to be here with you both. I know. Thanks so much. We spoke with Adam earlier this week. Nice. um, Who's a big fan of learning brew as well. I know. So it will be fun. We're excited to have more guests this season. Hell yeah. It's a great idea. Well, thank you so much. And everyone follow Kyle, check out learning brew. They're great programs and have a great day. What if I've been here before?